I screw up some Japanese acronyms and we talk about oil reclamation. In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. Hey everyone, I'm Darcy. Welcome back to Quality Matters, brought to you by Texas Quality Assurance, where quality management gets simplified. You changed it up that time. You threw me off. I did. I threw myself off. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Well, I'm Kyle. And I'm Darcy, as I already said. Well, there we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should be better at this by now, and we're just not. I'm yeah. sorry. Thank you for still listening. <laughs> Well, we're getting a lot more listeners. It's like every month is bigger than it was last time. So uh, if we see a downturn, we know it's to blame. What? You? You screwed up this time. Oh, okay. It's all your fault. All right. Um, well, I'm going to review another ASQ article or case study. I'm amazed how many of these are out there. I had no and, and idea. And you know what? There are way more than what we cover. I just try to find ones that relate to quality because right. that's what we talk about. So if you are, I mean, go to ASQ. I think well, for... Well, you've got the paid membership, though. I was you? about to say, for most, there are some that are free. Right. But for a lot of them, and you don't know until you click on it, and then it's like, oh, you right. have to have a membership. And you're like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, not that ASQ is a sponsor, although if you know anyone that wants to look into that, let us know. But uh, it, it's a worthwhile thing to pay for. It is. We get a lot of good um, <coughs> articles and case studies from there. Okay. So I don't see a year on this one to tell you when it came from. Um, but still good. Okay. And also, I'm sorry ahead of time. I'm going to read to you a little more than I would like to, um, just because there's boring. a lot of acronyms and it's hard for me to keep track of. Oh, environmental is full. Ac not only is it full of acronyms, there are well, it's not really the it's not the environmental. You'll see. Okay. So there's a special team of cleanup experts on standby at the U.S. Naval Ship Repair Facility and Japanese Regional Maintenance Center which the acronym is SRF slash JRMC, <laughs> Yokosuka Detachment, where thousands of gallons of oil are routinely drained from ships coming into dry dock. Okay. So as you can imagine, mm -hmm. if thousands of gallons of oil are routinely drained, there's probably lots of oil spills. Yes. So the containment and recapture... Not an easy task. The equipment is large and heavy. There's multiple mm -hmm. hoses, and they're hard to handle. Um, and the methods are elaborate and time-consuming, and the preparation for them is time-consuming. So there were about 65 members of a shop called Shop X99. Okay. That included the seven-member Mata Yatanda... <laughs> MYT team, and they decide we need to improve this process. These guys. I'm just having fun listening. Try to see all these Japanese. Yeah, terms. but it's a good one, so I had to do it. Okay. Um, so this naval facility is the largest, most strategically important overseas U.S. naval installment in the world at the time of this article. Um, it served as the home port for Kitty Hawk Carrier Strike Group. Um, it's the largest supply center in the Western Pacific. 
Pacific as well as the primary site of ship maintenance and repair. Okay. It's a 200-acre facility. Um, and so the X-99 shop crew has to be ready immediately to respond to a oh, spill. Yeah. At any time. Yeah. <laughs> um, as I already mentioned, they have 65 workers on the X-99 shop, including 28 oil specialists. Okay. All employees at the SRFJRMC um, want to meet four organizational goals. One is competitiveness, two is technology, three is readiness, and four is public image. Okay. Um, the team members want to improve technology. Yeah. on how they clean up these oil spills since that's one of their four major organizational And there's goals. tons of cool stuff there. A whole other weird tangent I could go off on. I mean, I how long is your tangent? We could talk for about three hours on it. It's okay. really cool Nope, stuff. we're going to keep going. Like, microbes are even evolving to eat this stuff that didn't exist 50 years ago. It's so freaking cool. But I'll stop there. Yep. <laughs> so, team the team members identified their own goals to improve the technology that they use in their shop. Yeah. They want to shorten time, increase the degree of thoroughness, improve tools and methods, and reduce cost. So, if you do the first ones well, the cost reduction will happen on its own. Yes. I always laugh when people make cost reduction as a goal. I'm like, you realize it, that's it's more a natural of a consequence. Yes. <laughs> so, they had a diagram Woo. to include internal and Easy. external t- stakeholders. Oh, yeah, that's good. And, again, we try to link these, but, again, you have to have a paid membership, so it may not link if... Um, yeah, well, they go from the treatment team. They identify who's directly affected. It's a process flow map, but rather than it being a process flow map for information, it's a process flow map for um, stakeholders whose impacts it is because the, the impacts flow down the, the trail. Um, you know, we've been looking recently at doing some more work for RC14001. It's... It's uh, the ISO 14001 standard, but it's for chemical companies. In any case, they have, they have a big focus on value chain. So I was trying to explain to someone, like, what's a value chain? And, and you look at, we all have, we understand what the supply chain is, mm-hmm. but we always think about value chain. Especially now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So um, if you are in the value chain of someone else's supply chain, so they kind of reverse one another. And that's effectively what they're showing here, but with the uh, interested parties, like, who do these impacts flow impacts flow and cascade down to? Mm-hmm. So then they used a tree diagram mm-hmm. to describe methods and tools currently used in the process. Um, after they made their tree di- dra- diagram, they You're then the reason we're going to lose listeners. Thanks. They then <laughs> examined root causes by considering a series of simple questions. Why do we have to decide what to use each time? Why do we use a truck? Why does the tanker barge have to be at the right spot? Why does the dock have to be dewatered? Why do we have to split the team? Why do people have to go into water? So they, uh, there's more and more. I won't read them all to you. These stupidly simple questions, again, people gloss over this stuff. Well, that's what you need. Ask the dumb question. Why? Why is it that this is the best tool? Yeah. So they've got a list of maybe eight questions here that they go through. Um, They realized quickly that the roots of many of their questions pertain to the current machinery they use. Okay. 
So traditionally, I think I already said the equipment was just not easy to use. Um, it involved setting up several hand-operated skimmers, which had to be moved around to chase the oil. Oh, geez. Dozens of hoses had to be installed in order to cover each 100,000-square-foot dry dock. Uh, transportation and setup of the equipment was time-consuming and required a lot of people, and progress stalled each time a skimmer had to be moved, yeah. and invariably, some oil was missed. Yep. Yep, yep. Um, so they decided to completely reserve, reverse the system. Instead of chasing the oil with several hand-operated skimmers, they decided to push the oil using high-pressure water toward a single high-capacity self-standing skimmer with an adjustable height suction. Makes a lot of sense. It's not all that different from what uh, companies do for their uh, wastewater treatment. They funnel everything into these different retention ponds, and they float from one pond to the next to the next. Mm-hmm. And each time they flow, they pull more and more oil off of it. So, yeah, don't chase it. Push it to where you want it to go. Yeah, well, in, and in true government fashion, they had no funding for new equipment. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they decided to make the new super skimmer themselves. Sometimes what do we the have here? Solutions. Um, the new super skimmer consisted of a pneumatic pump fitted atop a drum lifter with a wide adjustable suction mouth at the base. They devised new self-standing water sprayers to push the oil toward the super skimmer, also created mobile backpack-carried sprayers, and an extremely high-powered unit featuring a firefighting nozzle. I'm Ghostbusters is coming to mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. So they have stuff that's very mobile, can be worn. I don't assume it's light. No. But still, it's a backpack style, which distributes the weight. And anything that was not um, for the workers to carry around, the self-standing equipment was put on wheels so it was easier to move around. Good, good, good. So the time reduced both setup time and pump-out time by a total of 82%. Awesome thoroughness it reduced manpower needed by 50 percent while achieving total cleanup of the docks for the first time fantastic ever well to, and it's amazing when you free up people's time they suddenly have time to come up with more good ideas you create this little positive feedback loop mm-hmm. um tools and methods it reduced equipment requirements by 80 percent awesome and made it easier to estimate job requirements by constantly using the same equipment. <laughs> cost reduced both actual labor costs and costs of idle time by a total of 75%. Oh, yeah. So, further intangible benefits included easing labor for the cleanup crew. With the new equipment, workers no longer had to enter standing water to do their job. Oh, jeez. They also endured less strain while moving the equipment. As all of the new machinery was either, like we said, yep. backpack or on wheel, and the large fire nozzle sprayer is even operated while seated. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> that sounds fun to me. I'm just going <laughs> to sit here in my chair and spray you down. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> well, you know, a big part of what we do in these consultation projects is we look at risk assessments. And, you know, I am not a big proponent of risk registers. And here's one of the reasons why. Because you don't necessarily know up front what your risks are. How much of this is how we do our job 
is a risk that can be mitigated. And sometimes it's not until you get into that continual improvement process that you realize, oh, wow, this really was something and we just eliminated it. Mm -hmm. We didn't even realize it was a risk. It was just part of what we did. And yeah. so it's sometimes surprising when we go into these consultation projects because we don't have the mile long list of risks for them to mitigate. It is part of the continual improvement process. It's more of an output of the process. Oh, this is something we mitigated. Let's keep moving on. So like you say, them going into the standing water. A lot of people have said, well, there's just no other way to do it. This is how we have to. Mm -hmm. So why even bother to think about it? Or someone being able to sit down to do it. And especially if you got this backpack and all this equipment on, you avoid extra strain. So, and you talk about moving the equipment, like that's all sorts of uh, unnecessary maintenance that no longer has to be performed. Well, and I'm thinking about them standing in the standing water. So, you know, I'm trying to picture is this just like, you know, a little bit of water on the dock? And what's the risk? Well, I mean, somebody could easily slip and fall. I'm sure they have mm -hmm. wonderful slip resistant shoes, but right. there's always a risk. Yeah. Um, and especially if you're also trying to manage this heavy equipment, the risk is higher. Mm -hmm. And then let's say the water is two or three feet deep. Well, then your shoes don't protect your legs right. and you're standing in this water for i don't know how long it takes them to clean this stuff up yeah and it seems to me that would risk infection i don't even want to put on waders to go fishing or duck hunting i mean I, much less clean up oil yeah <laughs> yeah so just that alone not having to be in the standing water and yep. run risk of health problems or slip and falls or but i love that they said you know what screw it we're just gonna do it ourselves yeah. We'll figure it out yeah. with ourselves. I mean, that's what you have to do. <clears throat> it is. I mean, that's some of the best solutions are out of necessity. I mean, it it, it really is. Uh, I mean, truthfully, you look at some of the greatest innovations uh, throughout human history that, and especially in modern times, like it didn't come from people with unlimited resources. And so just because you got limited resources doesn't actually put you at a disadvantage. In some ways, sometimes that can be an advantage because it's going to force you to think up of ideas mm -hmm. using minimal resources, which provides the best output oftentimes well in hindsight's 2020 like you know i read this article and i'm like why were they ever chasing it to begin with why didn't they just funnel it somewhere to start with but yeah. you know who knows what the situation was when they started this and maybe all these things weren't available to them yeah well not even that think about how much the uh i mean i don't know how long this operation's been in place but i mean over 50 years think about the size and complexity of ships and how much people care about oil being dumped mm -hmm. i mean 56 years ago it's like whatever mm -hmm. we don't care you know it bubbles up from the ocean floor on its own sometimes why do we care <laughs> if we dump it i mean these were really the the thoughts yeah. and reactions to it but so yeah things change and you know you've only been there five years you don't know what it was like 40 years ago when this process was put in place yeah and the fact that they are able to get 100 percent of it yeah that's fantastic so then my question is like when they skim this oil and they get it, do they again then get to like keep it and process it? Or is it considered like no good and we have to dump it? I don't know for them. I know that uh, some places there's lots of different types of oil reclamation. So a real common one is that you'll have multiple uh, ponds of water and you'll have a uh, bacteria, usually in the last one, microbes that'll actually eat the oil. Mm -hmm. um, and so they'll, they'll eat an oil and then the water's clean enough that you can dispose of it in which you do each intermediate stage is you skim more and you skim more and you skim more of the oil off the top. Mm -hmm. So you've got pumps and skimmers constantly running. Um, but do they keep that oil? It depends on it? how much dirt's in it. Sometimes it's not worth reclaiming. Um, sometimes what some of this stuff will do is it'll uh, get heated and compressed and turned into roadfill. 
So like a lot of our asphalt mm-hmm. is like the the gunky stuff from the mm-hmm. I don't know I'm overly simplifying some oil and gas folks going <laughs> to massively correct me on this but now we'll get emails yes. and messages <laughs> but it's a lot of it's the the gunky useless stuff at the bottom when they go to refine the oil again massive process being overly simplified but I don't know but that'd be interesting to see what they do with it I know a company I worked for before we had a wasn't oil but we had a, a um, NDT inspection shop and we'd go through tens of thousands of gallons of water a month um, doing these inspections and you know the the dyes we use were kind of oily and they had uh, the dyes in it and sulfactants and all this type of stuff that screws up the bacteria at the treatment plants mm-hmm. so this stuff couldn't get dumped in the uh, stormwater it wasn't hazardous but you can't dump it in the stormwater because it'll kill the bacteria at the treatment plant um, and so we wound up getting this massive uh, water tank with a filter on it and then we just have that filter disposed of you know, okay. once a month, but I don't know. Hmm. It'd be interesting if anyone uh, has any information. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this, despite my many screw ups that Kyle liked to point out. Oh yes, tons of them. I mean, we're <laughs> we're just screwed. We might as well just shut down the podcast. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks. Y'all. Hey, this is Kyle with Texas Quality Assurance here for the Quality Matters podcast. want to thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you're listening, we know that you understand that quality matters in your organization. Heck, quality matters at home, at church, our government, you name it. But if you are like so many other organizations that we work with and are having a hard time getting that message across to your team or perhaps just struggling with the implementation of a system, let us know our coaching and training systems are available for use for you so that we can help you put the edge of quality in your organization so you can get back to doing work that matters.